Saubona, Hauset, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. So today we continue with our, with our discipleship series. And the title of today's message is Going from Paycheck to Purpose. But I need to, I need to clarify something before, before we, as, as we continue, to the fact that just because we say paycheck to purpose, it doesn't mean that it limits our discussion to our jobs. Nowadays, we have this thing where we think that work and jobs are synonymous. We think that they are one and the same thing. But the truth of the, of the matter is that a job and work are not the same thing. A job is part of work. So it's a specific thing that we do, whereas work is all-encompassing. When you saw what the worship team was doing today and leading us into God's, into God's presence, that's work. We don't necessarily think of it like that, but it's work. In fact, a way that we can think about it is that work is ministry. If there's one thing you want, uh, I would like for us to grasp today is that work is ministry. And a job is just a part of ministry. It's something that you do from eight to half past four or eight to five, or if you're a doctor, I don't know how they do with the intent, where you work for 30 hours straight, and then only then go home to rest. So when we are covering what we are saying today, so when we are saying from paycheck to purpose, we are not limiting it to a job. We are saying that we are, we are looking at, 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 at it in a sense that paycheck is synonymous to anything that we want to get when we do work. Thank God for the aircon and the lights. Amen. So paycheck is not limiting us to, to what we earn when we do a job. It's synonymous with anything that we do where we are saying that for what I do, how am I going to be compensated? So yes, we'll use the word job to kind of bring our focus and attention to what we are saying today, but it's bigger than that. So the title of our sermon today is From Paycheck to Purpose. Let us begin by eavesdropping on a conversation in a coffee shop somewhere in South Africa. Two friends are chatting. Hey, uh, B goes, I hate my job. I hate it, hate it, hate it. The friend goes like, hmm. That bad? 
You don't understand. Words fail me, and I don't even know where to begin this discussion. But, bro, come on. You get compensated well. All, all is good. So, what's your problem? Bros, you don't understand. You're not getting it. It goes beyond the paycheck. It goes beyond the paycheck. Even that is not that great anyway. Then what is it? I'm not getting you. You work in one of the best departments in this company, and you're really good at your job. Eh, how do I put this nicely? Come on, come on, just, just say it. Well, it's complicated. How many of us have been in that scenario in one way, shape, or form or other? In fact, let me ask a question this way. How many of us enjoy the work that we do? I'm not trying to step on toes or knock anybody. It's, it's just a question because we can look at that conversation and put it out there. But the reality is that that conversation is much closer than we think. In fact, in 2019, uh, Gallup, this company that does uh, work-related surveys and all of that, they found that 15% of workers around the world were engaged in their jobs. 15%, one, five. These are the workers that we say they are content in their jobs. So then the question is, and the other 85%, what happens there? The truth of the matter is that they found out that the 85% of workers are unhappy in their work. And it's varying degrees of unhappiness. Some people are ambivalent to, to the work they do. They are neither here nor there. Work? Nah. Other people, as I showed earlier, they really dislike their, their work or their jobs. And there are many reasons for this. And when they did other studies, they found out that these are the top five reasons why people are unhappy in their work. And we will start with the least important and make our way to the most important. Number five, they found out that most people are unhappy with their salaries and other benefits. This goes counter to what we would normally think that salaries are at the top of the reasons why people dislike their work. Number four, being overwhelmed by excessive 
excessively complicated administrative procedures. I want to buy, a, I need a pen to do my work. I've got to write three emails, six requisition forms, and wait for 10 weeks before that can happen. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. Because you've been there. Number three, not being challenged where the job is routine. I do this today, I wake up tomorrow, I do the same thing, I do the same thing, I do the same thing. After a while, it's like you're on autopilot. And that can lead to dissatisfaction with your work. Number two, the passion has gone missing. When I started out in this job, I was, I was pumped, I was, I was in it. I could feel it in my jury. But somewhere between starting the job and everything else happening within the job space, I get to a place where now all of a sudden, yeah, I wake up because I have to wake up. I'll do the best that I can do, but if you ask me to go beyond myself or to sacrifice in order to get the job done, you'll find me very hesitant. Number one. Can you guess what number one is? Please, please shout it out to me. Can you guess what number one is? Some of you have said it, the boss. <laughs> Most people are dissatisfied in their work because they, according to them, they have a bad boss. So if you're a boss at work and leading a team, it, it, it needs you now to start introspecting, <laughs> to say, what am I doing in my team? Am I leading my team right? Am I putting the right resources and the right things in place for them to succeed at their work? Secondly, am I engaging with them in such a way that I can bring the best out of them? When I read this list, I was, I was shocked because to me, I would have flipped five and four. I would have, sorry, five and one. I would have said the, a bad boss, or yeah, is at the end of it. Salary is at the top of it. But research shows us that it is what it is. And then in South Africa, we have to add, uh, I call it reason number zero, or why people dislike their, their work. And it has to do with the history of this country. Whether we like it or not, we have to talk about racism. It's, it's a very sensitive, very challenging topic to talk about, but some people sitting here dislike their work 
because around the day they feel that the color of their skin determines the opportunities that they get, it determines the projects that they work in, it determines even their salaries when they are being reviewed, whether you're going to be promoted or get a salary increase or not. So we have to acknowledge that there's a trauma of racism within the workplace. And we have to ask ourselves, then, how are we going to deal with that? Like I said, it's, it's a sensitive issue, it's a, it's a challenging issue, but if we do not acknowledge it, then what's likely to happen is that we are going to perpetuate the cycle. And there's two sides to this. The first one is those who were not given opportunity to work in certain areas because of their skin color. On the flip side of that are those who were given opportunity to work in certain areas because of the color of their skin. So with both parties, now we are dealing with a very challenging mix. Those who are denied opportunity, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of bitterness. Umtabs was saying when she was leading worship now that she felt that God had to say, God was saying, we need to forgive that person at work. And this is one area that we need to face. To say, when you step in the workplace, if you're black, are you carrying the trauma of the fact that those who came before you were denied the opportunities that you, are that you now have? Or do you feel like if you're in a meeting, you have to really work hard to say something because the color of your skin determines whether people are going to listen to you or not? That has led to a lot of anger in many people. And it's festering and it's deep. And we have to acknowledge that it's a problem that we need to bring to Christ as Christians and say, God, how do I deal with this? The first part of dealing with any problem, they say, is that you have to acknowledge there's a problem. And they say that's, a, that's half the problem solved already, acknowledging that there's a problem. Then the second part is, how do you work it out in such a way that you get to a workplace, you get to a place where in your heart of hearts, you, st you step into the workplace and you say, you know what, God, I'm here to serve, I'm here to minister, and I have no bitterness in me. So that's the one side of it. The other side of it is those who are given an opportunity to work in, 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 those, in, in that space and to thrive and to be the best that they can be. The challenge with being on the other side, predominantly being white, is the fact that you can live with a lot of guilt. You read the media, you read the news, you hear what the politicians have to say, it's almost as if you are the cause of the problem. But the reality of the fact is that, so with that, it's a thing of how do you overcome that guilt so that you can be able to be in a workspace and live in a way that you can be productive and express the fullness of God in you within that workspace? Yes, acknowledging the history of where you come from, 
but also being saying around the day, I've got a responsibility to make an impact in this workplace. So whether you are angry on one side or you are guilty on the other side, if those, if those issues are not dealt with, you will minimize the impact that you can have in the workspace. And God wants to take us to a place where we are able to deal with that, acknowledge it, and have frank and very truthful and honest conversations with ourselves and with our co-workers where we can start to grapple with those issues. I can tell you this for a fact. The politicians don't have the answers. I respect my leaders, don't get me wrong, but they don't have the answers. Christ has the answer. What does is, what is the scripture say in Colossians? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither white nor black. There's neither victim nor feeling guilty. But we got to bring our hearts to the Lord and say, God, this is what I'm struggling with. How do I deal with these issues in my heart? So that on the day, we can have an impact. Around the day, so that we can disciple our fellow workers. So that on the day, we can reach them with the gospel, even though you may not be even say, quoting a scripture. But your heart of hearts and the way that you engage and you relate with people tells people and your coworkers that you are different. But we need to get to those issues. So if you fall into one of these two categories, I would urge you strongly to go for counseling and deal, and deal with the issues. Whether you start with, with our pastors and elders or a group leader, or you go and see a therapist, whatever it is that you need to do, please do it. Because this country needs, this continent needs people who serve from a pure heart. You are needed, I am needed, every one of us is needed. Others will want to come in and divide us and say, but you are this, but you are that, but you are that. But Mfundisi preached to someone last week and said that we need to go from comfort to kingdom. And going from comfort to kingdom means that we need to deal with the issues of our heart and the challenges that we face. So, this is work. And these are the challenges that we face. Then the next question that comes to us is, if we do not like our job so much, why don't we just leave or change our workplace? If I, if I hate it so much, why don't I just leave? The reality is that as adults, we learn that it's, it's complicated. There's a couple of reasons which make it, make it complicated. The first one is responsibility. If you are an adult, you have to feed yourself. If you are, if you are a husband or a spouse, you have to feed your family and do that thing. 
you have to clothe, you have to provide shelter. And sometimes, sadly to say, we also want to maintain our standard of living. Because how can I move from that suburb to that suburb? Because the job that I'm going to take is going to pay less, but when it comes to the purposes and fulfillment, I'm going to be in my being. The second reason is that maybe we lack opportunities to change. And with the pandemic being what it is, we have seen that. There are some job markets which have shrunk very, in a very scared kind of way. But then there are other job markets that have opened in another kind of way. So now we are saying within my job market, if I step out, will I find a job? And then the reason, the third reason that follows from that is that what if I step out and I say, I'm going from here, I'm going to there, and then it doesn't work out? Then what? What if it's, two, what if it's a week, two weeks, three weeks, two months, three months, and the job is not happening? Then what? As adults, those are the considerations that we have, and they are real. Amen. The other one is, besides fear of being wrong, is fear of the unknown. What happens if I step out and I fall flat on my face? Or what happens if I step out, I find a job, but then now I look back, and now the, greener, the, the grass is greener on the other side that I left. And right here where I am, it's all dry. This, these are the issues that we grapple with. And then the, the, the seemingly obvious one, we don't want to lose our salaries and benefits. So we stay put. So we, we, we become stuck. And what we tend to do is that we cast a side-eye glance at God and say, God, you said you're going to provide. And you're like, and then? If we are bold enough, we do that. If we are not bold, what do we do? We take all our frustrations and everything, all these negative emotions, we bury them in our hearts and we carry them wherever we go. Now your blood pressure is shooting through the roof. You lose your temper at a drop of a hat. Why? Because around the day, we have not learned to deal with these issues. So the question for us is, what are we to do? What are we going to do to get unstuck? And I'd like to propose us today that to get unstuck, and it can happen in multiple ways for all of us, but the truth of the matter is at the core of it, we have to understand what we call the theology of work. We have to understand why work is and why God made work. So, as I've said that, let us pray. Father, Lord God, we thank you.
for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your love. We pray, Lord Jesus Christ, my God and my Lord, that you will speak through me, Heavenly Father, Lord God. Speak your truth to us, Heavenly Father, Lord God. Glorious mighty God, challenge us, Heavenly Father, Lord God, to go from paycheck to purpose, Heavenly Father, Lord God, and do it in the way that brings glory and honor to your name. Please open your Bibles to me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, verse, 20, verse 25, we'll read 25, then we'll skip to 31 to 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, then from 25 we'll skip the others, then we'll go to 31 to 33. All right. Amen for the electricity, now it's up on the screen. So it reads as follows, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is your life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Then this is Christ speaking. Then he repeats the same thing in verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. From this passage, we get to see that we work in order to meet our needs, and it's a good thing. But when we work by ourselves or we are self-sufficient, without God, then we end up worrying, we end up angry, we end up disappointed, we end up frustrated. Not that work in and of itself, as we'll later see, is not frustrating, but we get to a place where we are like, man, am I going to eat tomorrow? Am I going to be able to pay the bond? That flat top, that nice car, with them wheels that have been paying off, will, will I still have it tomorrow? Or is the bear going to repossess it? Then we push ourselves into work and we do it, but not from the right heart. But there's something else going on when we work without understanding what work is and who God is. It's the fact that we feel as if God has so changed us. But to Lord, you gave me this talent, you gave me this gift, you gave me this job. Why does it feel as if I'm alone? Where are you? Where are you in this? And then the cycle then perpetuates. We worry. We stress. Our blood pressure is going through the roof. Our tempers are just... Just that might be on the surface. A worker, a, a fellow colleague does something wrong and you blow up at them. And then they are like, I just did this. You just reacted like this. What's going on? They don't know that there's, there's issues, there's stuff in our hearts. So we, so then, we do that, and then the next thing that we do, because we think that God has so changed us, we start slowly withdrawing from Him. 
We start praying only when there's a need to pray. If there's an issue I'm facing, then I'm going to pray. But in terms of reading the Word and working on our relationship with God, we step back. Because in our hearts of hearts, there are issues, and the gulf between God and us is working, is, is, is growing, sorry to say. If this narrative had stopped there, it, it would be pitied. But then Christ says in Matthew 6, uh, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The very things that you need, the food, the shelter, the clothing, and all of that, God is saying that your focus should not be on these things in and of themselves. The focus of where you need to start is to say, God, who are you? What are you about? When you work on that relationship, God enters a partnership, and then he's able to do what we are not able to do. He's able to take the gifts and talents that we do, that we have, and bring his power and his love, put them together, and then we are able to work. Does it mean that we'll not be frustrated at times? We'll still be frustrated sometimes. That's the nature of it, and we'll see why that happens. But it means that we are able to supplant and overcome those challenges, and you get to home, and on the day, you're not kicking the tree and kicking the dog if you have the dog or banging the dog, but you get in and say, hey, daddy's home, mommy's home, how's everybody doing? If we bring God to the center of our work. So this scripture commands us to bring our frustrations to God. It means that with the challenges that we face at work, we need to bring our issues to God. And it starts with asking a very important question. Why did God create work in the first place? That way, when we know the purpose of, of, of work, we can align ourselves with work and find that now the frustrations, they come down. The drudgery of work comes down. You are able now to say, you know what, God? My boss is from beep, 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 beep. Because sometimes we do that. And you get to say, how can I pray for my boss? How can I love on my boss? How can I understand and engage with my boss in a way that affirms their dignity and the fact that they have authority in this place? But at the same time, when I see things that are out of order, I can challenge them in a respectful way. But we, we, have to, we, we can get to that place when we understand what work is. So in a sense, we need to learn to go from work as a means to an end. I work so that I can get. In the, in, in the world we call it, we call it a consumer mentality. What can I get out of it? 
And we need to understand what work is so that we can go from a consumer mentality to a producer mentality, which is purpose. What am I here to do and why do I need to do it? So that on the day when the benefits come and all of that, I can rejoice in them. But the first thing that I got was the fact that I did work and I did it to the best of my ability with all of my heart. And when I close my eyes to sleep at night, I'm, at night, sorry, I'm content. So for that, as Pastor Wayne has been teaching us, we need to go to Genesis 1 and 2. Because if we understand what Genesis 1 and 2 says, then we'll see where we are and why we struggle with work the way we do. And then it can provide a pathway to what then do we do so that we can redeem what God made work to be. Uh, please can we read Genesis 1, 27 to 28. Genesis uh, 1 to 27 and 28. It says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. The first thing that we need to look at when you're looking at this scripture is that this is Genesis 1, and it comes before Genesis 3. Because Genesis 3 is the fall of man. It's the, it's the space in which we occupy in this present time. So God says, in 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Good people, God created us to be fruitful. And that fruitfulness is all encompassing. It means that if you can sing, God created you to sing to the best of your ability. And we get to experience that every time the worship team comes up here and they lead us in worship, they use their voices, they use their skills to the best of their ability. But in order to go from gift to fruitfulness, work needs to be done. You don't go from having a skill to play an instrument to playing it tomorrow. You have to learn what music is. You have to learn what God put in creation to us in order to help us to make good music. Even in preaching, you can think you're a good preacher. You can maybe think you're gifted with the gift of the garb and you public speaking is not an issue for you. I say that because for some of us, public speaking is a terror. Yeah. 
If we could avoid it, we would avoid it at all costs. But on the day, you may not be gifted in public speaking or singing, but there's other gifts that God has given you. He said, be fruitful because he put potential in you. But between potential and gifting and fruitfulness, there's work that needs to be done. We, we, we have to understand that, that we have to apply ourselves. Uh, theologians call this uh, the dominion mandate. This is why God put us on earth. And in our hearts of hearts, we know it. When we are being fruitful, there's something in us that settles, that says, you know what? This feels right. This is me. And it might not even have to be with people seeing what you're doing or what you're not doing. It might not be that you might get a pat on the back to say, well done. But there's a place in our hearts where we settle and we say, this is it. God created us to be fruitful. But between, but between creation and fruitfulness, there has to be work. If we understand that, it will change the way that we approach work and in any sphere of our lives. It will change the way that we do ministry. It will change the way that we serve. But let's, let's carry on. So please go with me to Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God created man outside of Eden, from the ground, and he breathed life. Then God took man and put him in Eden. And he said, what is your primary purpose here? To work the garden and take care of it. Hence why I said earlier that work goes beyond our jobs. Work is what we are created for. How did God create the earth and the heavens and everything? He worked. So if we are made in his image and his likeness, what has God created us to do? To work. So if we summarize, if we now group these two scriptures, uh, Genesis 1, 27 to 28, and Genesis 2, 15 to 17, there's five points that I will quickly go through that I want us to understand and take to heart. The first one is that God created mankind to be fruitful. And that part of fruitfulness is doing work. The second thing that we see is that from these two scriptures, God gave mankind rulership, stewardship over the earth. 
So what is happening in the earth is whose responsibility? Our responsibility. So we have to work in order to steward the earth. Thirdly, when God created man, he provided for man's material needs. Because we read in, in verse 16 of chapter 2, it says that you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't have to work for their food. God provided for it where they were. Number four, we see that God set limits for what mankind could do and not do in discharging their duties. Because it says that in uh, verse 17 of chapter 2, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says work. Here you can do what I've called you to do. But there are boundaries, there are limits to what you can do and what you cannot do. So in summary, we see that God, made, God created mankind as stewards over the earth, and work was part of that stewardship. And we see that work was formed in perfection. Work helps man fulfill his need for purpose. And it is through work that we provide for our basic needs and help others who may be unable to work. Work is the means by which we sustain life and make discoveries about God's world. So if you are a scientist, you are discovering what God put in creation so that we can be able to work on that to enhance our lives. If you are a social scientist, you are finding what did God put in man so that we can help man become the best version of themselves. And these are the truths that we need to embrace when it comes to work. Because here's the thing. God did not just create us and put us on earth to work. Even in the midst of the fall, Christ comes, comes along. The Bible tells us that Christ started uh, his public ministry at age 30. Between the time that he, between his bar mitzvah, is it the right word, when they come of age, and 30, what was, what was the son of man doing? What was he doing? He was working. He was a carpenter. And in doing that, God restored dignity to work. And mind you, we think, okay, he was the son of man, he was doing all these things, and he must have had a breeze. First of all, he was born into a scandalous marriage. Because the people in Nazareth were saying, in Beth, where he was born, were saying, you guys haven't consummated the marriage. How is it that she's pregnant? So they thought Mary was a harlot. And they treated, some of them treated her that way. On the flip side, they thought of Joseph, this guy is stupid. Why is he marrying this woman knowing that she's damaged goods? Because those are some of the words that we use. And that, and on the day meant that even in the work that he was doing as a carpenter, he was frowned upon. They probably went to Joseph only when all the other 
so-called good carpenters or in good standing didn't have a job. That's where Christ came in and lent his apprenticeship under his dad and then did the work that he did. So he can identify with our frustrations to the core. Yet he's also able to help us to overcome those frustrations in the work that we do. Because he's been there. He was not just floating on cloud nine and saying, oh, you mortals, why do you struggle? He was not doing that. He was in there, in the pits, and doing that and doing it and showing us that work is work and bringing dignity back to work. So what is work? How can we summarize work in a simple sentence? Work is simply engaging in physical or mental activity in order to achieve a purpose or a result. So work is not just physical, it's also mental as well. So this was the perfect creation in Genesis. But then something went wrong. Because now where we live in, there's a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and where we are. And for that, we need to go to Genesis 3, 17. It reads as follows. And then to, uh, and, uh, and to Adam, this is God speaking, because you listened and have given heed to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, the ground is under a curse because of you. In sorrow you shall toil of the fruits of all the days of your life. Satan tricked man, the fall happened. In essence, two things happened. The nature of man changed. Secondly, the nature of work changed. Now we understand where we are, where we are, while we struggle with work the way that we do. Because the nature of work changed. God said, in sorrow and in toil you shall eat. In fact, we can summarize it this way. Remember the five points that we said earlier in terms of what work became and all of that because of creation? Then when the nature changed, things turned around. The first point that we see is now that fruitfulness is a result of toil because the ground is cursed. Work is no longer, I just need to work on my ability and I'll get results. There's effort and struggling and all of that to get to the place where we can bear the fruit that we are meant to bear. Secondly, Mankind went from serving each other to ruling over each other. The struggle we have to submit to one another and things like that is because in Eden, before the fall, God created man so that we'll all be accountable to him and to serve one another. But now post the fall, we went from serving each other to ruling over each other. I want to be the boss. Everybody must listen to me. Number three, we now have to work hard to provide for our material needs. 
We no longer just eat of the food in the garden and enjoy, enjoy. Now we have to toil. Number four, boundaries are now jumbled up. I want to be the pastor. I want to be the elder. Why is Pastor Wayne the, the, the leader? Why does he make decisions? Why can't I make them? It's all jumbled up. Because now the fall is what we are dealing with. And then number five, rest now has become optional rather than essential for work. When God created in chapter two, after God had done all the cre- after God had done creation, in chapter two of verse two, it says that God rested from his work, and he called that day holy. So we were born to work, we were also born to rest, to rejuvenate, to refresh, and to do all of that so that we can then go on to do what we need to do again. But with the fall, it has come to a place where that we are overworked, we are tired, we work from Monday to Monday, and it's become the norm. Why? Because of the fall. So now you understand the scenario that I painted earlier of that person who was who are saying it's complicated. It's complicated because, because it is. But here's the thing. Now that we have an idea that work was distorted, and we un- now we can understand why we struggle with work. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Because Christ came at the cross, not just to redeem us from sin, so redeem ourselves from, redeem us from our fallen nature, he also came to restore the dignity of work. And now he partners with us in this struggle, in this challenge, he now works with us to say, hey, this is how we do it, this is how we become fruitful. So as we wrap up, um, we can ask this question. How do we get to back to Eden in our workspace? How do we get back to where, God, where work is despite us living in the fall? I would just like to, for the sake of brevity, share three principles that we can, that we can work with. And I'll just give you the scripture, the scripture references. The first one is that we need to ask God to restore our passion for work. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It goes back to what I said earlier. We need to bring our emotions and our frustrations to God so that he can deal with them. If you do not have your heart, there's no way you're going to do good work. Because someday you will be required to sacrifice in order to finish the work that you're doing. If your heart is, in, is not in it, you'll find excuses. God wants to restore our hearts. So it means that we need to take all those frustrations, all the negative emotions, including that generational trauma that we were talking about at the beginning and bring it to God in prayer and say, God, this is where I'm at. Please heal me. Now, in, 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 under this point, the second thing that I want in restoration God of work is that we need to own up 
for where we've responded sinfully toward our attitude to, to challenges at work? Have you backbitten your boss in front uh, with, your, with your colleagues? Have you written nasty emails? All of those things, we need to acknowledge them and say, God, I have sinned. Help me to change so that I can do right. And then thirdly, under restoring passion for our work, we need to ask God to show us the areas where we can best serve him. Because sometimes we are frustrated because we are in the wrong place. We are doing the wrong work. So we need to go to God and say, God, what did you put in my heart and what did you put in it for? Number two, in terms of getting back to Eden, we need to seek excellence in all that we do. Proverbs 29, 22, verse 29 says, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Here's the deal. If your heart is not in it, forget about excellence. If your heart is not in it, forget about excellence. But if your heart is in it, then what does excellence mean? It means that you fulfill your commitment. If you say you do it, you follow through. It, number two, excellence means that you, in the job that you're doing, if that's a place where God has called you to, you upskill yourself continuously. You keep changing according to whatever the latest technology or latest methods of doing that work are. I love what Bunolo said when she said that she joined the ministry and all she could do was word. But in sitting there, she upskilled herself and said, now I can learn Excel. Hey, now I can do a YouTube channel. That is excellence. Start where you are and then work on it. And number three, under excellence, you need to keep boundaries with other areas of your life. You need to rest. People, we need to rest. I know some personalities are here looking at me and they're like, I want to strangle your neck right now for saying that. But the truth of the matter is that we need to rest. Overwork is one extreme, laziness is the other extreme. Excellence is in between. Then number three, we need to, in terms of now, how do we get back to Eden? We need to reimagine our work relationships. Luke 6, that 1 to 32 says, and as you, as you wish that others would have would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For, for even sinners love those who love them. So the first thing is that if you have a boss and colleagues and you want to work on your work relationships, the first thing that you need to do is to pray for them. If you're praying for them, there, might be, there will not be enough space to complain and gossip about them in your heart. Number two is that you need to communicate your professional and personal boundaries when needed. If your boss asks you to work over the weekend and you know that you are attending your son or your daughter suicidal or sports thing and you have committed to it, you need to gently but firmly let your boss know that, boss, I hear you, I can work out something else, but when it comes to this, this is what I've committed to. 
Then finally, when issues rise up at work between our bosses and ourselves and colleagues, we need to confront them. Not gossip, not backbite, not backchat, whatever. You need to deal with the person through which the issue came. And for some of us, I know it's a tough ask because for some of us, our culture has not taught us confrontation. We know how to sweep things under the carpet and make them as if they don't exist. So ladies and gentlemen, the heart of this message is that we need to get back to Eden. And God has given us the theology of work. It's for us to study it, pray through it, understand it, discuss it, and then finally say, how are we going to apply this in our lives? And how are we going to teach the people that we are discipling to do the same in their lives? Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.